Father in heaven, we just come to you tonight and we rejoice in what you are doing in our lives. Father, we, we just, we just want to soak it in. We know that it takes such consistency and effort. We know that, that just coming to the cross one time and, and accepting you as our Savior, Jesus, we, we know that you expect us then like Ephesians is going to teach us to turn around and come back into our little part of the world and make a difference. And so tonight, Lord, we have been given this particular book, six chapters that have the best instruction. May we really, really concentrate tonight. May we want to hear from you. And Lord, we just pray this all in Jesus' precious name who makes life so worth living. Amen. Well, we are going to finish this tonight. Yep, I, I, I do want to, well, I might as well do that first of all. So here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. That's right. And when we go into this tonight, I want to make sure that you know that even though we are done for this summer now, and really there's not much summer left, but I want to get you thinking already about all. And, and I want those who listen, because we have great numbers who are listening on podcasts. So I know that even though they're not coming here, maybe they're uh, listening and, and learning at home. So I want you to know that there won't be a new podcast for a few weeks, but then we will start, we will come back on either, here we go, Monday morning, Monday morning at um, here in the legacy room. So for some of you who know and understand this church, we've been in there before COVID hit, we were in legacy room. So our Monday morning study is starting September 12th, and then we will be in that same room for Tuesday evening starting September 13th. So it starts 12 and 13 in Central in the legacy room, and then a Monday night um, September 12 at Ottawa Reform, and then um, Tuesday morning at Fairhaven in, in Hudsonville. So we have Monday night in Ottawa, um, Monday morning in the Legacy Room at Central, Tuesday morning in Fairhaven, and then Tuesday night back in the Legacy Room. So Yes, both 9.30 in the morning and 6.15 at night. So, and, and we will be doing the same lesson. So sometimes if you can't make one, you can make it to one of the other ones. So you can pick and choose sometimes. So anyway, um, just want you to be thinking, and we're going to be doing the Gospel of Luke, one chapter a week, line by line, and um, the Essence are ready to go already. And just from writing the questions, it's going to be such a good study. Getting to know Jesus better. And that's exactly what Paul has been teaching us. Is that I pray every day that you will get to know him better. That you will learn to love him more. And so we're going to be in that gospel. So, all right. Now, um, Ephesians. Why, why did we say we should be reading this 
every day this summer. And I think it's still, for me, I'm going to still keep doing it because it's been such a good devotional. I mean, what is a devotional? Why do you, why do you read a devotional? And it's to, you know, it's to be able to get your day going. Or if you do it at night, it's to calm you down. And so uh, the, the devotional, I thought this, this particular summer, let's just try reading Ephesians. And it is such a good devotional because it's got a format of our whole spiritual life. And so um, just quickly, let's just say, uh, what did you learn from chapter 1? Chapter 1, Paul says, when was the last time you realized how many spiritual blessings you've been given from straight from heaven? So, you know, makes you, and, and we need that. We are such active, busy human beings. We need to stop once in a while and just kind of reflect on who I am in Christ Jesus and, and what he has done for me and what I can live in every minute of every day. And so it's just kind of like a stop and consider and realize who you are. And then he comes back and, and says things like, and like I just said, he says, I, I, this is ongoing. You can't just say, well, I know that I'm saved and, and that's enough. No, he says, I keep asking, I keep praying for you every day that you will want more, that you will want to grow and mature and you will want to learn. So that's our momentum. We want to make sure that we're not getting stagnant, that we're learning. There's just an endless treasure in this book. And he says, I just keep asking that you just stay excited, that you will want to know more. And then, and then in the second chapter, he says, but don't ever forget from where you came from that you were lost. You were dead in your transgressions. You were without hope. And, and you, were, you were just plain um, lost. And that is something to really consider because <laughs> that makes chapter one even more priceless. And that really is what then keeps us so wanting to, to learn and grow and know him better because we know what we once were and we don't want to be that. We don't want to go back to that ever. And, and the thing is, you know, when you know Christ, you won't ever go back to that. You will never, ever be dead in your transgressions again, you know. And so, and then in the third chapter, he, he kind of reminds us too. He says, um, and you don't do this alone. No, you, you've been given a power, a power that lives within you so that you don't have to be a follower of Christ and do it in your own power because that's not sufficient. So you've been given a power. And then what does he say? A power that will even help you know how long and wide and deep his love is because that's fundamental. It's fundamental knowing that his, his love for us is just limitless. And then he says in the end of that third chapter, and to him who is able to do immeasurably more, he is able to do immeasurably more than what we could ever imagine or think. And how does he do that? Through the power that is at work in us, the power of his spirit. And, you know, Paul laid this book, this particular letter, out in such a good 
form. I mean, you can't have like, like any time. That's why I love a verse by verse study because you can't have chapter five be in chapter one. You, you will never understand tonight's lesson, really, I don't think, completely without making sure that you've started at the beginning of one and you see two and then you realize there's power in three. And then in chapter four, that's when he starts saying, okay, when you really do understand that, then you have to look at your life. And this is, he says, I urge you, I urge you to live your life worthy of the calling. So he has done all this for you. Now this is what he expects you to be like. This is the way he expects you to think and to, and to act and I said in chapter 4, it is the chapter that Paul talks about, you know, if he can unite a Jew and Gentile and make them brothers and sisters in Christ, then he, can, he, could, he could unify this, this whole world. This whole world could be, could be totally in unity. He, that's what he does. He, he unites people. And, and so... Chapter 4, just it was a mystery that, that Paul said, I now understand because it, it to, the, to the average person who once knew what a Jew and Gentile, what their relationship was like, to say that they would be brothers and sisters in Christ, that's impossible. But our God, he can do immeasurably more than what we can ever imagine. Through Even through us, and Paul said, he was the apostle to the Gentiles, and he was going to bring Jew and Gentile together under one head. And now tonight's lesson, you know, it is another chapter on, on what we look like, our behavior, what people see and why that's so critical. And he says, be imitators, be imitators of God. How much do you think, how much time do we spend imitating other people or, or have falling into that trap of comparing ourselves or competing with someone else? And, and he says here, be imitators of God. That should be our focus. That should be looking at him, see every day, seeing him and think that's the kind of character. That's the kind of, of person I want to be. So be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. I mean, what a title. If you know that that's one of your titles and probably the most priceless of all your titles is that you are dearly loved. You are a dearly loved child. And so be imitators, God, therefore, is dearly loved children and live a life of love. Live a life of love. And I mean, that just sounds, live a life of love. And no, it just, but he's talking about live the kind of love that Jesus had for us. And now let that kind of love work through you and live that kind of life. Don't you read those first couple lines and think what a different world it would be. You know, the world needs Jesus. That's all that, that I can say. And once you know him and he is yours and you start listening to his instructions and you want to be obedient to him, it could 
absolutely change everything. I mean, we could have a world that was total immunity. I mean, it is not impossible. So that's why I believe that that when Jesus left this earth, he said to his disciples, what I am telling you to do is not that complicated because everything else will fall into place if you just go out there. And what did he say when he was ascending? I, I want you to go out into this world, go into your little part of the world and do what? Just preach, teach, live out the gospel. And make sure that that's what they hear. The story of Jesus. Love to tell the story of Jesus. And see then, then his spirit, because that's who comes into every life at, at salvation. Then the spirit then will then start changing lives. And making his word come alive. That's not complicated to me. What are our goal should be is just to make sure that people hear a story. The, the story of Jesus, the only one that can save them and make them into the person that they should want to be. But anyway, he says, you're dearly loved child and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself as a fragrant offering. So the kind of love he's talking about is that love that Jesus had on the cross. When, when, when we were yet sinners, he was willing to die for you and I. That kind of love, that selfless kind of love. And then he says, with that kind of, that kind of behavior, that kind of action, that is a fragrant offering to God, and when you think of fragrance, I think of that as as pretty nice smell. And I think to myself, you know, when Jesus died, as much as it was so painful and it was hard for his father to to absolutely see that, still he knew that when Jesus died and said it is finished and it was over and he completed the task, it was a fragrant offering because now we. Because the father loved us so much, he was willing to send his son. And now when it was accomplished, that was a fragrance. Because now it is possible for you and I to have this salvation that we would have never had otherwise. And when he puts it that way, you can't help but think, you know, maybe my, maybe my life did you, did you ever think that maybe my life in, in the way I handle myself or the, maybe the way what I'm thinking or in every part of us, maybe am, am I a fragrant offering to him? Is, is my life a sweet smell to him? And I think, you know, it's, it's one or the other. I mean, you're, you're going to smell badly or you're going to have a fragrant offering. And, and you know, what, what it is what is that? You know, what kind of smell are we offering him? And then, and then he starts, he kind of uses those first couple, couple verses. It's kind of like a, a sweet, uh, be imitators of God and, and look, at what, look at the kind of love Christ had for you. And now, um, and it was such a sweet smell to his father. And now, why don't, you know, you have 
have that, make that a desire in your life. And then, and then in verse 3, it's like then he hits it. Said, okay, this is why it's so important that you look at yourself and you think, is my life a sweet-smelling aroma to him? Or is it just a rotten smell because of, of who I am and what I'm doing? Because the next verses say, it's so easy then to fall into the traps of the behavior of the world. I mean, even... even um, He's talking, remember, he's talking to believers. He's talking to people here, either the, the Ephesus church or, like, I think this was such a great letter that it eventually went to all the churches. But he hits it heavy now because he is not talking to pagans. He said, even Christians can fall into these traps of worldly behavior, and they don't even think it's that serious. So when he says, but among you, there must not be even a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality. And, you know, that, that can take on so many explanations here. But he knows, Paul knows, he, he knows that that is a problem. It was back then, it's a problem now. And he's saying, I want you to take this seriously because I don't want you to even hint in that direction. But then he goes on. He doesn't just leave it with sexual immorality. He, he says things like, or any kind, or any kind of impurity. I mean, he puts it in those words because we know ourselves so well. We know how to fill in. We know what's in our life that, that is maybe a kind of impurity that, that isn't a sweet smell going into the nostrils of God the Father. Or he's, he says he, he starts with sexual immorality. Don't even hint of that. And then or any any kind of impurity in your life. Or then he says the word greed. And he could just as well put the word self in there because that's what greed is. Anything about me, anything for me. And he says, look, look how he says, because these are improper for God's holy people. You can't have it both ways. You can't not take these verses and, and just slough them off like, oh, it doesn't mean me. He's saying that it is you. It is me because we're human beings who, that have been conceived in sin and we're rubbing elbows with the world continuously. And it's a trap that just wants to suck us in. So after doing Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, and you really see yourself in your relationship with Christ, he just kind of hits it hard and says, there is no place for this behavior. And if you think that you can do it both, like you can have your days for your behavior and, and then behavior that God expects on his days. No, this is a lifestyle. This is a whole new transformation. And he talked about that in the previous chapter when he talked about that 
take off, put off that old you. Put it off. And then in exchange, put on the new you. We forget that once we've been to the cross, we are not our own. I mean, I think we truly want both. I, I want me, but I want God too, but, but I want me too. And No, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price, a very high price. We've been bought with a price, and, and our life is not about me anymore. And I don't think we can hit on that enough because this world is just trying to tell us altogether different and we're seeing it. It's so self-absorbed. And he said, this kind of behavior, this is improper for God's holy people. So you got to keep reevaluating how you're acting. And then, and then he goes on, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place. It's just not Right, it's not a proper behavior. It's out of place. And so I, I looked up the word obscenity, and I was quite I'm amazed at there was much more to this word. I mean, obscenity, you know, obscene things. Uh, uh, it is more than, than just being immoral. It's an attitude. Again, it's what's going on between these two ears, what's, what's going on in our minds? And then another part of the definition was, it's when you're offensive. When you, when you don't care, you, you offend someone, you, you are hurtful. That's part of the definition of obscenity. And then foolish talk. I mean, foolish talk is just when, when you just talk with no control. And, and you don't even really know what you're talking about. Foolish talk is just, sometimes it's just meaningless. It, it's just ignorance coming out of your mouth. It's just talking without any self-control. And crude, coarse, joking. I mean, sometimes, you know, you hear people and out of their mouth comes this vulgarity, the swearing or cussing or try to be funny and it's just crude or it's rude and it's mean-spirited. So it's like, you know, in the first part of the verses, he was talking about our behavior. But then in these next verses, he's saying, okay, let's, let's talk about how, what's coming out of your mouth. And in these actions, he said, it's not proper behavior. And in, and in the, what's coming out of our mouth, he's saying, it's out of place. That's not a part of the way a child of God, this, a dearly loved child of God should behave. But rather, look what, but rather, it, you should have this, this attitude of thanksgiving. That's what it says, but rather thanks 
giving. And, you know, you have to constantly be saying, I'm so thankful for this or that. But I think when you are thankful, it doesn't have to be mentioned all the time, but it changes your attitude. Instead of, you know, like when, when our human nature maybe wants to go into some of this behavior or this kind of talk or something, and you decide, you choose to listen to God's spirit who says, no, this is improper. It's, it's not, it's not a, a place for God's holy people. If you're willing to listen to that voice, I think what will change your mind is when, oh, I'm so thankful. I, I can remember a few times where I know that I was in my natural human self because I was trying, you know, you, you just try to defend yourself by your behavior. I behaved that way. I got, I lost my temper or, you know, I said that because so-and-so did that and they had it coming and, you know, we tried to do all that. But if you listen to to, if you listen to God's spirit, and, and it's almost like you can, you can sense him grabbing you around the neck. Or, you, or he pulls that choke chain to remind you that, hey, and it holds you and I back. If it holds you back from doing something that you know, I know I'll be sorry for later, but I just can't help it. But I'm telling you, you're thankful that you do have God's spirit that will stop you if you're willing. Yeah, thankful. And then verse 5, for this, for of this, you can be sure. I underline that big, thick line because I would say Paul is making such a point here. And again, he's talking to believers or people who think they're believers. There's, there's a lot of people around who are, uh, we call them unsaved Christians. You know, they know, they know what to say. They know how to act. But, but in their heart, it's kind of like the, the, the letter to Laodicea. I mean, from the outside, it just looks so, oh, what a Christian church. And, and where's Jesus standing on the outside? So... You know, Paul is just kind of, he knows he's addressing his, the church, but he knows that there are also people sitting in that church who might be not taking this so serious and who might be playing some religious game. And so he makes this statement, for of this you can be sure. I mean, no kidding aside, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man, is an idolater, which means you worship yourself. I mean, you are all the, the most important person in your life. You are, you, it's all about you. And then he says, he says here, um, has any inheritance. So let me just say it. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man, is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Boy, that, that jumped out. That's got to jump out at you. People sitting, people sitting there listening to this letter being read, you know, they, they, you know, they think that they've got everybody fooled. Maybe they even think they've got themselves fooled. Maybe they think, well, you know, I can play both sides here. And, 
you know, you just have to see, Paul is trying to, in these last couple of chapters, he's trying to say, do you realize how in your transformation, God expects your behavior and your mouth to be under his control? And if you aren't, now, I know we all slip up. We're not talking about that we, we all make mistakes and that. But what he's talking about is it's just like a, a, come on, listen, because if you do not take this serious, if you think that you can work both ways, if you think that this isn't that big a deal, I want to make sure you know, that's why the words for of this, you can be sure this perpetual behavior and not just once in a while slip up, but this is just a constant behavior that you don't think is that important. Well, let me tell you, you can't come to the cross of Christ and realize the grace and the, and the love that was poured out on you and what had to happen to accomplish that. You can't possibly look at that and know that and believe that with your heart and still want to keep throwing this kind of behavior and this kind of mouth at him. You just can't do it. That's why he says it's not, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven because you're not real. It's perpetual behavior that you absolutely don't care what you're doing. And this is just such a, in fact, you're going to see it when he says, wake up. I mean, this is, this is a wake up chapter. This chapter is what Paul is saying. In case you're just kind of, you know, just sliding through and you, it's far more serious than that. Let no one, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. That's strong language. Don't be deceived by empty words. And, and how is how can you know if words are empty or if they're truth? And it's only if you are in God's word and you are under the power of God's spirit. There are so many people who are deceivers nowadays, but they sound so convincing. And if you are not, if you are not grounded in God's word, they too can just bring you into, into their belief system. And, and look what it says. God's wrath is going to come down on those who are disobedient. See what I mean about the language and all this in this chapter? This kind of, would you take a look? You can't, you can't possibly love chapters one and two and three and four, and then get into five and slough it off. I mean, he even goes as far as to say, you know, about friendships and relationships. You know, sometimes sometimes they have to change. Sometimes you have to, you know, because look, therefore do not be partners with them. Sometimes we have to change re- so-called friends and relationships because um, a, a real friend will never draw you. A real Christ-filled friend will never draw you away from your Savior. They'll always help you get closer to him. 
And if there's someone in your life that's pulling you away from Christ by either their behavior or whatever, and you're starting to feel a little uncomfortable about that, that's what he's saying. Don't partner with them. Friendships are very important in partnering, you know, because friends can, can sometimes even be stronger than family. And he said, you got to check that out because if someone is leading you away from Christ, verse 8, for you were once darkness. You were once darkness. What a contrast. Again, a reminder, the old self, the old you, before the cross, before, before you came to know Jesus, you were darkness. You were once darkness, but now... See, it's, it's different now. It's totally different now. You are light in the Lord. You are now light in the Lord. So now live as children of light. So if this, if this chapter 1 through 4 really has happened to you, then um, you have to be able to look in the mirror and see, hey, I'm an, I'm a new person. I'm every day as I get closer in my walk with the Lord, I see less of me and I'm starting to see more light of Christ in my life. And what does he goes on to explain what that is? You see the different behavior. You see the fruit of his spirit. You see he uses words like um, the light consists in goodness and in righteousness and in truth. And then look at verse 10. It says, okay, now find out. This is what I appreciated about going over this so many times because all of a sudden, one particular day, those two words came out. Find out. That means if this means enough to you, then if it really means something that now you really want to please God, well, then find out what pleases him. I mean, there's nothing that pleases the Lord more than when we're in his word and we want to follow in his, his instruction and we're obedient. Live as children of light. Let the fruit of his spirit come out of you and find out, find out what pleases the Lord because that, that should really be important. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Ooh, that, that's, I said this morning, that is a yuck verse. Because there's not one of us that love to have things in our life exposed. Things that we really want to squash and not have anybody see. But he's saying, you know, that's why on, that, on our salvation day, I, I always say it starts out as the worst day because you really come to grips with yourself and you really see yourself for what and who you really are. And that's the way it's got to be. You can never walk to the cross filled with pride. You walk with your tail between your legs almost. It's because you really see yourself. And, and the thing is, it's got to be like that. Because then that's when it can be, be confessed, repented of, and then cleansed, forgiven. 
have nothing to do with that kind of foolish deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, come to grips with it. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but in everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Light, it's like we need to turn a few more, we need to dare turn a few more lights on in our life so that it can be exposed, so it can be gotten rid of, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up. One of the letters in, in Revelation, one of the letters to the churches, I believe it was Sardis. I think it was Jesus said to John, write to this church, and he, wake up. He says those same words, wake up. That means start looking at this maybe in a different light Take it more serious. Don't just slough it off saying that it's not that important. It doesn't pertain to me. Do you care? Do you care that, that you have an opportunity? And he's going to talk about this. He's going to talk about the opportunity that he gives us. Do you realize that the way you're acting, your behavior, what's coming out of your mouth, do you realize that People are watching you and listening to you. And did you ever think, and that's why I says, wake up to all this, because it could be someone is watching and listening, and their whole eternal life could be based on the whole, the whole, the whole choice of whether they come to know Christ or not might be based on how you behave or what you're talking like. He said, you've got to start taking this verse. Said, Do you care that your life could be responsible for someone's eternity? I mean, you think about that in, in our homes and our neighbors, with our neighbors. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. It's just, just right where we live, our little part of the world. Be very careful. He uses, again, he uses this language. This is a wake-up chapter. This is an exposing chapter. This is, this is um, take a look at yourself, serious chapter. Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but wise. And that's so simple, isn't it? Unwise living is when it, when you live according to your own standards and the way you want to please and to, uh, you know f- fulfill your flesh and he said don't live as the unwise live as the wise the wise is one who like Solomon says in Proverbs the one who is listening with that ear tuned in to God's words making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And we don't know how many more we're going to have. No one knows. So make the most of every opportunity. You know, when when our boys um, preach, every time I know that they're preaching, I send them a little note on Sunday morning. And 
and this past week, Jason preached, and um, I, I wrote because this was so relevant and so on my mind. I said to Jason, I said, my prayer for you this morning is that your words will be his words. I know you love to preach your words. I know that you have strong opinions, but, but are you preaching? May your words be his words. And then, then I used the words of Paul, and I said, make the most of this opportunity. I mean, you have a grandstand before you, and they are listening, and they are expecting truth from you. Someone might be, might be ready to topple over, and you're kind of their last resort. I mean, that puts a lot of pressure, but again, you know, you preach God's word, he will fill you. When your words are his words, he will give you what it takes. And I think, you know, make the most of every opportunity. That's for every one of us. We've got a tough world out there, and we could live out Jesus even just in our disposition, just in our demeanor, just in our countenance. You have an opportunity to, to show through your life that there's always hope. I think so often we underestimate these opportunities that come right before us to be able to what as Paul says, now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Did you ever see a letter with every line that you just, you almost have to pause and, and, and see the incredible power and in, in advice and instruction? I mean, do not be foolish. Understand, desire what the Lord's will is. Do, do not get drunk with wine. Don't, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I mean, we don't have to explain that. We know. I mean, how often these substances can cause us to be in a position where we don't even know what we're seeing or doing. And he said, don't even put yourself in that position. Don't even take that chance. Instead, instead, he shows, if you want to fill yourself up with something, how about filling yourself up with his spirit? And then he says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. I think every one of us, I look at so many of you, and I, you know, see you, Gus, I, you know, see you, Ellen, Linda. I mean, I know how much music means to you and, and how songs are so, you know, they, they're in our heart and, and they come out in our, how often haven't you sung a song, let's say in church or whatever, and you catch yourself during the course of the day. It just struck a chord. And before you know it, you're just singing that song. And first you're humming it, then all of a sudden you're singing it. And 
And then all of a sudden you realize those words again. They keep reminding you. I think to myself, I mean, have you, I'm sure you have. You, you, you stood out in nature and, and you might be, I think this is what it means, you know, speak to each other with psalms and with, and, and, did you notice it's different kinds of music? I love that. So, you know, some, you know, there's the Psalter, the Psalms, spiritual songs. That could mean the, the, the new music, spiritual songs or the hymns. Take your pick. Whatever moves your soul. And you, you stood there with somebody and you're just watching the sunset and I've, like this summer, if, if you've seen some these sunsets have been extraordinary. And, and you, you know, let alone in, in the middle of the, you know, Rockies or something like that. But you can't help. I, I know I've done this. I've turned to that person and I, all I could say was, oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder. Consider all the worlds I hands have made. I mean, you know, and what a difference that conversation brings. And that's what Paul is saying. This kind of character, this, this kind of, you know, let, music is such a great tool that, is, that the Spirit has given us to just keep us in check because the, those songs just keep reminding us of who Jesus is. And, and when you're ready to sink and you just feel like you're just sinking and you just, you just, all of a sudden, what a difference it can make when out of your mouth comes, my hope is built on nothing less. You know, just pick your song. Pick whatever style you like. And you will see that's, that this music this music is a gift. Always, verse 26, always, or 20, always give thanks to the Lord, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Always give thanks. What an attitude change again. I mean, in a world that's constantly bickering and complaining and finding fault and, and just critical and... What a difference it can make. This is such tremendous advice. And it's our call. I mean, it's, it's whatever we, we can fall back to our old self or we can love the new self. And when Paul writes in Romans 12, he says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I mean, until you really ponder those words, I think you just have a tendency to think, well, of course I hate it when, when someone murders or I hate, you know, I hate the evil, you know, in the, in the world. But, yeah, I think Paul is saying because he understands, he knows that he too falls short. In, in, uh, remember in Romans 7 where he says, um, I don't do what I should do. And it shouldn't do what I do do. You know, I mean, he knows that we struggle with this. But he also 
knows that we have a choice in what kind of behavior is coming out of us. And always give thanks for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. And what an attitude change that can make. And then submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, for Christ. I, I, you know, I've taken a lot of time in these first verses because I think it, it, it's, it's such a wake-up call and it makes us Christians take things more seriously. Um, so I wanted to spend more time there. But um, this next section, I mean, we've had many sermons on these kind of things, but I think verse 21 is what Paul is trying to get across and he says, okay, this is the way, this is the way it's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think if we would just look at that one verse there, then verses 22 through chapter 6, verse 9, I think would just all fall into its rightful place. If we are willing to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Otherwise, everybody's trying to claw for these positions and, and everybody wants to, you know, be the head honcho. And if we submit, because, because we're going to see the way he puts it in chapter 6, there isn't anyone whose position is so big and so powerful in this world. There isn't there isn't a CEO in all of this world that doesn't have a boss. There isn't an owner of a company that doesn't have a boss. Because we all are to submit under the authority of Christ. He is the boss. And then when you start looking at, I submit to your husbands, as to the Lord. You're doing this because you're submitting to Christ. Then this is what he says. I'm doing it not because I'm inferior or because I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut. It's because this is the order he set it up as. And that word submission, you look at that, what's the main word of the word submission? It's mission. And for me, I'm thinking, I'm on a mission for Christ. And if it means that this is, I submit. And then with the husbands, I think that their instruction is really difficult because it's so detailed. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. My lands, that's love. That is putting yourself aside. It's giving yourself for the other person. I mean, to make her holy. This is what Christ, this is how much Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Boy, that's, that's a lot for a husband. And that's how he's expected to treat his wife. But it's, it's all possible when we submit under 
the authority and the reverence of Christ. And then in chapter six, I mean, he goes on and he said, this is the other relationship. I mean, now he's kind of delved. Did you notice he's delved into relationships, how we get along with people and what people or the people closest to us. And then he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. That's just the way he says this is the way it's got to be. You know, and sometimes, you know, in, in taking care of elderly parents or something, I know for me it was, a, you know, a rough couple years when it seemed like um, the relationship was reversed. When she was childlike and I was the adult. And sometimes her behavior was a little self-consuming and it was a little um, difficult. And I thought to myself so many times, what, what really helped me from just saying something that I would be sorry for or thinking, honor, honor your mom. I know it prevented me from damage. Honor her. You might not like it, but honor her. She is your mom. And that's why when she passed away almost a year ago now, I'm thinking, I to this day, I have no regrets. You know, sometimes you can say, oh, I wish I would have, or I wish I wouldn't have said. I, mean, I think that little phrase that we've known so long, but it's so helpful, honor. Fathers, but I think it could also mean mothers. I don't know if you've been a parent. There isn't you. I want to meet. I really want to talk to you. If you can say that there, there, there was never a day that your child didn't exasperate you. I mean, that there was one day that your child just you just had had it. And Paul, even though he wasn't married, you can tell that he was so under the guidance of the Spirit because he, he knows this is such a temptation when kids just drive you to the brink and you can just get exasperated. And he is saying, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. How often don't you hear people say, oh, I wish there was an instruction book on how to parent. Well, there is. And it only takes a couple lines. You don't even need a big old fat book. Bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. And what is that? That's this, this book. And then, you know, here's slaves and masters. It's pretty much, you know, employers or, or employees. You know, we can relate it to that. And, and slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. So when they're not even around, that's called integrity. 
serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. I'm going to give you an example, and I asked him if it was okay, and he said it was. But, you know, Tom and I were on the road for over 30 years, and, you know, we, we did some extraordinary things. It was, we... It was a ministry that we went to a day of it. And then all of a sudden, here comes the voice trouble. And Tom's in his late 50s, and he tried to find a job because we had to come off the road. And, you know, we, we thought we had some more years, and we didn't. And, and so, you know, here he is trying to find a job, and who wants to hire an old man in his late 50s, you know? I mean, we don't think it's that old, but in the business world it is. The only job he could get was quality car wash. And, and I remember he came home that day and he said, I got the job, I got the job. And, um, and then he has this shirt that he has to put on. It's, it was blue at the time. And, and he put on his next morning, he put on his blue shirt and said, quality car wash. And there he goes. <laughs> and I, to tell you the truth, didn't think a whole lot about that. But then when he came home and, and we started talking about it and, and he started saying things like, oh, so-and-so came through and, and he named some pretty important people. And, Tom, what in the world are you doing this for? You know, it's pretty humbling. You know, every morning you put that blue shirt on that said quality car wash. And, yep, these important people would come through. And, oh, it was kind of embarrassing. It's kind of a little belittling, you know, until, until the Lord got a hold of him. And he had to make a choice. I'm either going to be embarrassed and just be miserable, or I am going to choose to serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. And he put a different countenance on. He looked at, he looked at this job and that job standing by the window. He said, I don't know what people are going through when they come through this car wash. So I can at least be friendly. I can be positive. I can be uplifting. He developed such a way with these people in 10, 12 years that to this day, people don't say, oh, hi, Linnell, we remember you from singing. No, now they're saying, oh, Tom, we miss you at the window. It is just amazing how, how when he was willing to let the Lord use him in this place, and you serve wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. And now, I mean, he retired. And then they called him and said, we can't do without you. So we'll find a job. Um, so he works every day yet for two hours in the morning. Picks up money at all the gas stations or all the, at all the car washes and brings it to the bank. They love him and he loves them. And I think that is the Lord will reward everyone for whoever, for whatever good he does, whatever he is slave or free. Don't you see these last two chapters? It is wake-up time. What is your disposition? What is your behavior? What is your mouth like? What's your countenance like? How are you living for Christ without even opening up your mouth sometimes? 
And then he closes. He closes this chapter. He closes this letter. He, he's, you know, like he has laid it all out perfectly. And he says, okay, now this is how you're going to do it. This is the only way that you can do it. It's too, it's too much to possibly, you know, understand chapters one through three and then four and five and then six. There's no way you can really submit and live under God's authority and listening to his instruction and being obedient and push self aside. That is all so totally impossible for human beings without these final verses. But you can't do it on your own. And so he leaves us with this powerful words of finally be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power. And sometimes, you know, I mean, I even reflect to go back to Daniel. Remember when toward the end of of our study in Daniel and when this vision was given to him and how he just almost threw up his hands and he just said, I can't take it anymore. I am out of strength. I mean, he, he you know, dared to be a Daniel. We preach that. We want that. And even in Daniel's life, there was a time where he just said, I am out of strength. And the Lord comes back and says, Daniel, I'll give it to you. And so what a reminder, again, the only time we feel we're out of strength is when we have disconnected from our power source. And so he says here, finally, be strong. It is possible in all circumstances to be strong. You do not have an excuse to throw in the towel and say, I can't do it because he said you can be strong in the Lord this is how you do it. You put on. And, and I love his, his, again, his language, his vocabulary. You put on. You, every morning, you, as you choose your clothes for the day, you choose on putting on the full armor of God. And, yeah, we can go through these pieces of armor, but every one of them is pretty much in a different way, says put on your relationship with Jesus. Put on Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and 4, and 5. Put it on. Put it on, and you are ready to meet the day. Because you can stand. You can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know, Paul understands, and that's why he says, our struggles are not against flesh and blood. I, I mean, sometimes, you know, people, they, if they're nasty or if they're cruel or, or whatever, you know, you think, oh, you know, they're the culprit. But no, you know, they're just, uh, Satan is just using those arms and legs and that mouth and that behavior. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We have got to look the fact we have an enemy that, first of all, doesn't want us to come to the cross of Christ. Oh, he'll do anything and everything to try to keep you and I from seeing ourselves the way we truly are in need of a Savior. 
And then, and then it, once he loses that battle, though, he doesn't give up because he will do everything so that we can be down and defeated and discouraged that there isn't a person or that takes a look at us and says, oh, I want what she's got. I mean, he, will, he wants us to be so ineffective so that no one will want to come around and want to come along with us. So Paul is saying, again, wake up and realize that you have got a force that's coming against you from all angles. And the only way, because trying to do it in your own strength and power, you're going to fail every time. That's why finally be strong in the Lord. Take that spirit that's living inside of you who is greater than he that is in the world and do something with him. Like, put them on. Let these verses go through your mind. Let this repetition of Ephesians keep feeding you to realize who you are and what you've got. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spirits of spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, I mean, that's nothing to shirk off. That's big time. You're fighting quite the battle. And it's impossible. That's why verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, I laugh at that. I mean, come on, that's every day. I mean, you're going to face it every day. You may be able to stand your ground. And, you know, that is a sign of strength when you can stand your ground. Because when, when, let's say, so-called bigger people are coming at you or whatever, you know, I mean, it's so easy to kind of shirk under. No, we make our stands, even though it might not be what they want to hear. If it's what God says, make your stand. And then he uses that word stand. You may stand firm. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. You know, that's Jesus because what is the truth? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> you put him on. You put your relationship with Christ on. And then, and then you put on that breastplate of righteousness. You think, oh, my heart needs to be guarded because I am right in because of what Jesus did, not by what other people think. So right away, you put that belt of truth on. You put that breastplate of righteousness that will guard your heart. Get your feet firmly planted. That's what keeps you standing straight. I mean, this... this armor covers you from head to toe and there's no need for you ever to have to run or turn around because you can face, you and I can face our hardest foe with this armor. 
And then, then I noticed after he says, your feet firmly planted, you know, in the gospel of peace. In addition, verse 16, now you take up. You've got, again, a choice. Take up. No one's going to put it in your hand. You have to take it up. Just like I wish somebody could dress me every morning and put it on, even if, because sometimes you don't feel like it. And then you wish somebody else would do it for you. No, it's not the way it works. You've got to want this bad enough that you put it on. You take up the shield of faith. And did you just love those words that says, and that shield of faith is so powerful and sufficient that it will protect you from every flaming arrow that Satan wants to, to throw at you. Take that helmet of salvation. You put that helmet of salvation over that head of yours, that mind of yours. You are mindful of the fact that our thoughts, you can't help it that a thought goes through your, your head. I mean, we are rubbing elbows with the world all the time. We're seeing it everywhere. And that thought comes in, but you and I have split seconds to decide with that helmet of salvation to take that thought and make it captive to the Lord Jesus. You just run to him and say, I have this thought and I've got to get rid of it because if I don't, it will take me in the wrong direction in a place I do not want to be. And it is not proper for people to see me living this way. Take this thought and take it to the cross. The helmet of salvation. And then, of course, the sword which is the word of God. I mean, there's so many good books out there, but this is the book. This is the book. This is the armor. This is the book we need. And pray. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You know, there's so many different kinds of, of prayers. Prayer in itself is that connection that our spirit has with the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul says, never, never stop praying. Pray ceaselessly. You continue to keep the Holy Spirit and your spirit connected. Because, you know, there are times, yes, we do have our times of real prayer with him. And that is so important. And there's the quick prayers that we make, you know, too. But the prayer that he says never stop is that connection that you have with him. Keep that going always. And pray all different kinds of prayers. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for, for all the saints. I mean, don't you just love it when you know somebody's praying for you? When you can go to someone and it doesn't even need to be because of a health reason or whatever, but you maybe know, I had a gal this morning, she knew she was not in the right place with the Lord and she said, would you pray for me? I mean, we need each other. 
It's so easy to just slide off. And when chapters like five and six are just so relevant and so right in our face, you are, you're confronting, you, you are exposed. And when you can go to someone and say, will you pray for me? You know, Paul, he says, he says, he, he wasn't afraid to say, pray for me. I mean, look at he says, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, I, I would say, I would just love somebody to pray for me all the time, that whenever I open my mouth. I mean, you know, th- this is a man, he's, he's writing this, and he's, you know, under house arrest or some kind of prison. He cannot, he's just not free to do whatever he wants. And he knows his human nature. And I'm sure there were times when he thought, oh, I just wish I could go in person and be able to talk to so-and-so. And and it's so easy in our human nature to just start feeling sorry for ourselves. And Paul says, would you pray for me? Because I don't ever want to take this opportunity because this I've learned to be content in where I'm at. I don't want to falter in my opportunities because I'm feeling sorry for myself. Maybe there's a prison guard that needs this. Maybe he's put me in this position for for this time. And and so would you pray for me that I know what to say and every time I open my mouth that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. That was his main concern. Did you notice he didn't say, would you pray for me? Because, you know, this is the pits. He's saying, no, I want you to pray for me because I want to go out. I want to go out doing the best I can wherever I am. For which I am an ambassador in chains pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. See, he knows that's the way what I should do, but sometimes I know because you wrote it before, sometimes what I should do, I don't do it. So would you help, would you pray with, with me about this? And then he talks about um, Tychicus. He says, he knows that this Ephesus church loves him, and he knows that this letter probably will go to many of the other churches, and they're going to wonder and care about what he's doing and how he's doing. And he says, you know what? I'm going to send the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, and he will tell you everything so that you will know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that you may, and that he may encourage you. And then this is how Paul closes this letter. Peace. Peace to the brothers. This is how we can live. And and again, he couldn't write this without making sure that he wrote one through six. Then he says, because of all of this, because this is the formula to your spiritual life, this is what's expected of you as Christ's child, the one he loves. You can live in peace, peace with each other, and and love with faith, love with faith that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. 
that same kind of love that the father had for his son, the same kind of love the son had for you and I, he said, love that way. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. Grace to all that undeserved favor. But I couldn't help but it just came up off the page. Grace to all who, and it has a requirement, grace to all who love, who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. That means it never ends, and it just gets more alive all the time. Peace to the brothers and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus, and grace to all who loves our Lord Jesus with that undying love. Heavenly Father, what a letter. May we, even the rest of this summer or whenever we need a pick me up, may we go to this particular letter and see how it's laid out. Father, may we wake up in today's lesson. May we really see how serious our behavior and our mouth, our words are. Father, may we be children of light. May we live like we're a child of light. Father, thanks for exposing what needs to be exposed in our life. As painful and as yuck as it is sometimes, oh, then the freeing when it's confessed and repented and forgiven and cleansed. That's the way you want us to live, set free, not carrying the weight of guilt and self. We are not our own. We've been bought. And Father, may we live worthy of the calling. And may we be imitators of our Lord Jesus. Father, as we end this summer study, Lord, just make your make these words in our relationship with you. May it come alive. May we want to know more. May we, may we hunger for, for the fall so we can't wait to go into Luke and hear him describe our Savior. Father, it's never ending, is it? Paul said, I keep asking that you will want to know more and more. May that be said of us, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.